So, Marcus, you ready to do this? Of course I'm ready to do this. Let's go. <laughs> Listen, at the end of our episode, when we were remembering 50 years since Jim Morrison died, Marcus revealed that he had come across Jim's FBI file. And I wanted to go right into it right then, but I hadn't had a chance to review it, and neither had you, as it turns out. No, at that point, I had not had a chance to do anything but give it a quick skim over and see what was there. And so I was like, the night before we recorded, uh, I sent you the FBI file, so you didn't have enough time to look through it either. But we've had time since then to look through it. Some trippy-ass aspects, but I also have some questions, too. Well, what kind of questions you got before we delve into all this? Well, one of the questions I have is... Why aren't the FBI notes of them attending all of the door shows in these files or Jim Yeah, Morrison where's the shows? ticket stubs? Because ticket I can stubs. guarantee you they <laughs> sent field operatives to every single door's performance in America. And a guy's talking up their sleeve the whole night or, mm-hmm. or what do they do? They touch their yeah, ear they when touch they, their I don't ear. know, they have ear like pieces, in Hollywood, yeah. yep. Touch yeah. their ear. Yep, that code. The other thing that bothers me is, as we have come to learn, the gross hypocrisy of J. Edgar Hoover is really vile. And it was actually more destructive to America than it was good. And therefore, he's not such a patriot that people might uh, revere him as and more of a traitor to the Constitution. And really, uh, without any controversy saying this at all, Marcus, use the FBI as a weapon. And that led to a lot of things that, in my mind, resemble what we saw going on between Scotland Yard and the British rock and roll movement of the 60s, where they were trying to knock things off the rails and keep them from, you know, fruition. When you printed out what you were telling me about and handed it to me the next day when I saw you, and I look at it and I realize what it is actually is the Doors FBI file. That's the subject on the front cover of this thing. So the Doors had an FBI file as well as Jim Morrison. And I didn't know that until you handed me that. And I I, I then went into the other thing, the 95-page PDF file, which we're going to review here. Not every minute or every word, but a lot of it Yeah. Uh, on this episode of The Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. Oh, did we fail to mention that? We're already <laughs> digging into our topic, and as we're known to do... Uh, we fail to mention who we are. I'm Ray Koob. He's Marcus Goldman. And we are brought to you by Crooked Eye Brewery in the heart of Hapro, pouring the cure for what ails you since 2014. And we're pouring into the relationship between the Federal Bureau of Investigations here in the United States and uh, the Doors and Jim Morrison. Your point about Scotland Yard going after the Stones and the Beatles and the other bands of Great Britain or the UK at that time very parallel. I mean, both countries were working together as far as counterintelligence to the uh, Cold War that they were involved in. Top of the stack is a letter, and a lot of things are redacted, Marcus, and it's a letter from someone at Jefferson Standard Broadcasting Company, March 20th, 1969, based out of Charlotte, North Carolina. So we don't have, nor would we give, the name of the person who wrote this. And here's the letter, and I'm going to read it so you get the nature of what this whole thing is rooted in and where it's coming from. I thought you would be interested in the enclosed record disc and my letter to Senator Sam J. Irvin Jr. As I mentioned to Senator Irvin, I don't know what, if anything, can be done to stop the dissemination of such trash, but I believe we must find some way to stop it. Now, this is someone involved, probably in the ownership of a broadcast group, saying that to J. Edgar Hoover and sending letters to his senator. It continues, The thought occurred to me that you might want to discuss this with the Attorney General and that hopefully the two of you would be able to do something. Certainly the great majority of decent Americans will applaud any efforts to make record racks and newsstands refrain from peddling such filth with kindest regards, redacted asshole. I still think that that person should be outed. I mean, if they're part of a broadcasting company and they're sending this stuff out about the music that they're playing and making money off that same music that they're complaining about, it's gross hypocrisy. So they should be outed, but it is what it is. The letter that he refers to 
is uh, a letter to Honorable Sam J. Irvin. Dear Sam, I hope the package which houses this letter and the enclosures did reach you unopened. It wouldn't do for anybody, especially a lady, to be exposed to the record which you have before you. I believe you will agree with me after you have listened to the enclosed disc that it is the filthiest and most vulgar thing the human mind could possibly conceive. It was... <laughs> it was... It was brought to my attention by Redacted. Uh, Xerox copy of his comments is enclosed, and I don't think they included, included them in the file. And again, I don't know what, if anything, can be done to stop the distribution of such trash, but I believe something has to be done. I realize that we cannot and should not try to legislate morality, but surely we can and should try to stop dissemination of such excretory matter as this. Say it. Say it, sir. I know you can't say it on your broadcast stations, but say you think it's shit. I think the time is long past due when the great mass of decent Americans can be assured that such as this will not be allowed to be peddled to their kids by great numbers of record shops across the country. Kind of this regards, asshole. <laughs> what a now, the PS on this is a, is a hoot. I know. The thought occurred to me that you might want to expose this to your friend, Senator Dirksen, and that the two of you then might want to bring it to the president's attention. Ooh. As in Tricky Dick? At that point, I would say yes. As in yes, Tricky Dick. Perhaps sitting down with him privately and playing it for him, since he will have the opportunity to name a new Supreme Court justice in June. I'm confident he'll be interested, particularly in view of some of the current court's rulings on pornography. Wow. We were so fucking backwards at that time. Holy shit. It was changing, but yes. I mean, seriously, sex was more of a taboo in our modern world than it was in the dark ages for art and for everything as far as the European Renaissance and even classical Europe and Victorian Europe. Had. Then you're really going to love the next page of attachments. You want me to go on here? Might as well. Uh, it's all about the sex and violence, the furor that rages on about it on television, but only a few people complain about the problems of pornography. And in this case, that which the recording industry grinds out. Oh, wow. We even got grind in there. Nice, yeah, nice move. Yeah. You think that I don't feel love, but what I feel for you is real love. In others' eyes, I see reflected a hurt, scorned, rejected love child. Never meant to be love child. The hit songs, if you examine the record charts, deal with subjects like illegitimate children, love child, Living in Shame, No Wedlock, and various thinly disguised lyrics about drug-taking, fellatio, sexual intercourse. On the latter, there are dozens of recordings released every month. Not everybody is as blatant as the Fugs. He brings up the Fugs. Um, the Fugs? Who can kill a general in his bed? Overthrow dictators if they're red. Fuck it. Proto-punk type band, the Fugs were pretty cool. They were a little bit out there, but to end up in discourse with an FBI file of the doors—that's amazing. The group derived their name from, of course, the four-letter word for intercourse. They are well known on college campuses and in clubs and major cities. Their recordings are very successful. You might want to listen to a few cuts without any ladies within earshot. A copy of their most recent LP is attached. Cut one describes the group's philosophy. Cut three, side one, describes the use of saran wrap as an emergency contraceptive in the back seat of a car. That is so <laughs> Rip it off, wrap it up, stick it in. Saran wrap. Saran wrap After the prom And ain't got no scumbag Saran wrap Saran wrap A baby and me Hugging in the back seat With saran wrap this is a well-known substitute for rubber condoms among young teenagers at our local schools as well as, and he names it, PS-152 in the Bronx. Side B has a satirical piece on the, quote, fucking CIA, man. 
cut on that side describes the use of the Coca-Cola as a douche, pointing out that it provides a good taste as well as protection. I'm reading this cold, and I can't help it. Sorry. How did these guys have a straight face when they were reading this stuff? I'm reading it, and I'm wondering if it's not Abby Hoffman sending it in, because they were associated with the Fugs. I think that comes up in here. If it wasn't the Fugs, it was a similar group that recently appeared on a Florida college campus, and when the curtain opened for the concert, one of the entertainers was masturbating openly, and he screamed at the audience, you kids have got to groove. must have been talking about Morrison, right? Yeah, because he was busted for lewd and lascivious behavior, and he had... And it wasn't the Fugs, it was the Doors. That's why it's in the Doors file, I guess. Uh, the 124th best-selling record album in America Day is called Two Virgins. It features on the front a full-length nude bodies of Beatle John Lennon and his mistress, Una. Una. Hello, Una. Complete it's with Una. genitals. Complete with genitals showing. Uh, this, oh, that was a big no-no anywhere, even in private, I think. Uh, this has opened the door, and already there are many new record albums showing nudes and psychedelic pictures of people imitating coitus. I don't suppose anybody in the Supreme Court cares. In fact, I don't know of many people who do care. Maybe and I'm an old-fashioned parent. Yes, you are. But I'm not ready to listen to those songs at home or on radio. And while I have two children and there are Beatles fans, I see no reason why they should have to look at two naked people when they buy the record. Oh Name God. redacted. Oh, my God. These people were unbelievable. And so hypocritical. That's the grossest part of it, is how hypocritical they were at that time period. I just want to say to some of our younger listeners that it's really clear to me and should be clear to you that the parents that you have that you bitch about and how they are, when you compare what you're thinking about this stuff here, right here in, in the Doors FBI file, it indicates what the 60s generation was dealing with and the way things were before and how backwards America was before. And this is March 1969, all this. The articles that are attached are from Variety. They're talking about the the incident in Miami. I know we have a, a letter that's kind of the response from J. Edgar Hoover. Do you have that there? You should probably give that. I do that. have that. Dear redacted name, thank you for your letter of March 20th with enclosures. I, too, share your concerns regarding this type of recording, which is being distributed throughout the country, and certainly appreciate your bringing it to my attention. It is repulsive to right-thinking people and can have serious effects on our young people. Sincerely yours, hypocritical cross-dresser, J. Edgar Hoover. <laughs> yes, and then there's a note afterwards that says yes. blank is on the special correspondence list his enclosures consist, consist of, of a letter, letter to him from setting forth the filthy repulsive language described on the record redacted also enclosed was a clipping reflecting the arrest of jim morrison of the musical group the doors for a vulgar appearance in miami where he has been charged in six warrants including one for a felony for lewd and lascivious behavior in public by exposing himself the record forwarded is by well, the fugs <laughs> yes the record blank forwarded is by the fugs and is entitled virgin fugs this group is headed primarily by Ed Sanders, Ken Weaver, and Tully Kupferberg. This group is described as New York's most fantastic protest rock and roll peace sex grass psychedelic singing group who write all their own material utilizing the artistic and literary heritage of the low east side of New York combined with the civil rights and peace movements. According to information developed by the New York office, this, this is my favorite part. This group was among the initial founders of the Youth International Party. Whatever that is. One of the prior the recordings. Oh, the Yippies. Duh. <laughs> Bands of dream. Masculine. Hot and LSD. I need apple morphine. Hallucination horrors is what I got. Yippee. Woo-hoo. Yippee. 
One of the prior recordings of this group entitled The Fugs' first album was discussed with a USA Stephen Kaufman, Southern District of New York, who advised that after listening to the record, he did not feel it would be a good vehicle for prosecution under the Interstate Transportation of Obscene Matters statute and therefore declined prosecution. Obviously, he knew what he was doing, and he obviously had a clue. The record which forwarded contains 11 numbers by the group which are vulgar and repulsive and are most suggestive. But they were reaching. They may not have been able to get there, but people were reaching. And the guy who wrote these letters to Hoover and the people at the FBI, they were reaching because they were going to try their best to to do what this guy from Jefferson Standard Broadcasting was inferring or suggesting. Absolutely. And just remember this. Ten years prior, the government went after Billie Holiday super hard for her Strange Fruit song, and she died under strange circumstances. Yeah, but I think most people are really clear that most of those strange circumstances with her death are related to her own vices. Yes, absolutely. There's never been anything said otherwise. No, definitely not. But this is really strange stuff, though. You think about Strange Fruit. This is strange stuff to see happening behind the scenes. Uh, there was the, the incident in New Haven. Uh, these things are documented. If you don't know what we're referring to, he showed Mr. Happy on stage in Miami, and he did things that were definitely beyond the the, the, the current realm of propriety for performers at that time. Mm-hmm. But the people who were trying to repress it are the same people who tried to repress the music and the urges in their teens to be their own person and grow into their own direction that wasn't like mom and dad and the harder you press down the more certain and firm the response was and that's what happened with him that's what happened with the, with the music in general on both sides of the pond and that's what happened with the doors Unfortunately, what happened with the doors also involved what we did just a few episodes ago at the 50th anniversary of the passing of Jim Morrison. So they were all up in his shit. They were up in his shit. Now, while they mentioned the band The Doors, the other guys' names don't really come up other than uh, Jim Morrison. It's almost like they're complicit in the behavior because they wrote the songs with him that are... Yeah, but are they? None of of those guys got arrested. Did you notice at those shows, those guys didn't all get arrested? None of them. They might have been taken off the stage. No, it was just Jim because of his offensive behavior uh, to the the mores of the time and to the letter of the law of the time in some cases. Got to admit that. I mean, Jim was a rogue spirit, a free spirit, and he wasn't going to conform. Ask the Admiral. We talked about that in that episode as well. But the FBI, with a pretty nice-sized growing file, ties to the Yippies, who had just started to become known as an ultra-leftist party of youth. Mm -hmm. And this is is all happening post-Chicago with the... uh, with the convention and all so they everybody knew who the yippies were and sam irvin obviously is a well-known person as well the letters to sam irvin referencing uh all this uh, he would lead the watergate committee that would bring down richard nixon ultimately in the 70s so but here in 1969 he was just good old boy sam irvin and this is what was going on around the time that we portrayed in our episode about Morrison's death when he was making his exit plan, telling the guys what his plan was, making his plans to go and marry Patricia Keneally in a field, and then uh, disappear to Paris where he would pass within weeks of his arrival. There's so much more to this file, Marcus. I got to tell you, um, what I think we should do is take a, a mid-roll break here. Absolutely. Figure out where we're headed, but then dig in Some of the things we find out related to this file that'll come up in the second half tell you a lot about why Jim hit the exit door and decided to get out of town and reboot. And before he could clear the air, his name, the law, and come back, he passed. It's kind of a weird twist of fate. We'll find out how the knife was being twisted just a little bit more when we come back here on the Imbalance History of Rock and Roll. 
Ah, the taste of crooked eye. It's like coming home for the holidays, man. And by the way, it'll be the holidays before you know it, Marcus. Getting into the fall season. And so the brews change and some different things appear on the board. Hey, there's a lot going on. And as always, the best way to find out what's happening at the brewery location in Hapro is on their Facebook. But one thing you know is there's the Blues Jam every Wednesday night hosted by the Crooked Soul Band. And I've been noticing a lot of new names and a lot of new acts appearing recently at Crooked Eye. So go in and see who's playing this weekend. And don't forget, if you're in Delco, Jamie's House of Music is a place where you can get Crooked Eye beers as well. Fresh brews, PA spirits, and wine, as well as all the fun of the music at both Jamie's House of Music and at the brewery location in Hatboro. Crooked Eye Brewery, right in the heart of Hatboro, pouring the cure for what ails you since 2014. Pantheon Podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. As we begin the second half of this discussion of the Jim Morrison Doors FBI file, kind of happened on a whim. When we recorded the episode 50 Years Gone, talking about the life and passing of Jim Morrison, we came across his FBI file, all 96 pages of it. So at that point, yeah, during the recording, we decided that we had to talk about it. And that's what we're doing right now. We need to talk about something you sent me this morning. Oh, wait a minute. I sent you a number of things. <laughs> oh, man. So which which one? Because I sent you a few things. Uh, the sort of uh, beatnik poetry thing oh. you did. You mean the Jim Morrison felony arrest poetry jam? Yeah, totally to the uh, style of Jim Morrison poetry. You sure you want to share this with everybody? It's kind of crazy, but I got inspired. <laughs> I think you should. I think it's it's hilarious. And if there was any way to uh, pay respect to Jim Morrison for who he was and to uh, highlight his legal troubles, it would be in a Jim Morrison style poem. Basically, when I started reading the PDF, I went to page five of the document and started reading that page, and I started hearing it in like a poetry rhyme, you know? And then I thought, oh, Morrison would love this, and I put the twist on it, and then I recorded it, and I found appropriate music, I think, and put that underneath, and then I sent it to you, and you were like, oh, yeah, let's put this in this episode of that Morrison's thing, you know? You sure you, you, sure you want to risk this? Yeah, why not? Okay. <laughs> Why not? We've never done we've never done poetry before like this. In mere moments you won't be able to say that my imbalanced brother. <laughs> Without further delay, we present the Jim Morrison Felony Arrest Poetry Jam. Flight Crew Continental Airlines. Flight one seven two. 
Advised flight left Los Angeles 5.10 p.m. November 11. Told white male passengers, creating disturbance by loud obscene talk, interfering with hostess instruction on use of oxygen masks. Told them on his behalf to behave. Captain personally asked subjects to observe proper conduct. Stated subjects tried to trip her, used foul language, hit her with lavatory door, threw glass at her after landing, victim of obscene language and gestures. She observed subjects passing liquor bottle during flight. She was in galley most of time, but heard and observed some of the subjects' rude actions. Captain could hear loud noise in cockpit, had considered landing nearest field to have subjects removed, radioed ahead to Phoenix, police alerted. During taxi time at Phoenix, considered stopping before reaching unloading point to have subjects removed because they were smoking during seatbelt on time. Stewardesses stated conduct of subjects stewardesses and interfered with their duties to ensure comfort and safety. Uh, yeah. what, what a bunch of a-holes they were And it was multiple people That were interviewed for this Not just the crew Corroborating some story There were multiple right. people on the flight That spoke to the FBI about this Stewardess's stated conduct Of subjects frightened them And interfered with their duties To ensure comfort and safety of passengers Flight manifest located Los Angeles 63 passengers deplaned Phoenix 7 deplaned El Paso Etc, etc So then it goes on And describes Thomas Frederick Baker Also known as Rick Baker And James D. Morrison and the charge of assault interfering with flight crew. What it looks like is a telex that says it's 7.40 p.m. instant. Phoenix PD advised that subjects were removed from Continental Airlines aircraft at Phoenix at request of captain as they interfered with operation of flight crew by attempting to trip hostess, refusing to fasten seatbelts when directed to do so, by smoking cigars when no smoking sign was lit, by throwing objects about the aircraft and causing Captain to leave flight deck to try to control them on at least two occasions. Subjects alleged to have had own bottle of cognac from which they drank using comic book as cover. Subjects alleged to have used obscene language and gestures when dealing with the flight crew. I still want to know what comic book they were hiding the cognac bottle in. And I don't understand why the FBI, being as good at detailing things as they are, did not name the comic book and at least redact it. (laughs) I was drinking a sip of coffee. I almost sprayed. (laughs) You got to stop stuff like that. It gives the description of Morrison. Uh, And it says, prosecution under Title 49, Section 1472, authorized by AUSA Lawrence Turoff. Subjects booked at Phoenix City Jail to be presented USDJ 1112 next. Both declined interview. Results recorded with LAPD and local FBI via Washington. Wow. Just wild. And I think the other members of the doors were on that flight and... Not a peep out of them, man. They were all totally chill. If they were on Probably that scared flight, shitless. They're like, what the fuck are these guys doing? They're going to get arrested. We're all going to get arrested when we get off. And sure enough, those two got arrested. It shows you how people can change when under the influence of some sort of substance that doesn't do well with their body. And as we have Agreed. learned, as we have learned, Jim Morrison and alcohol were not a happy combination, not a positive combination at all. It's the imbalanced history of rock and roll, and occasionally it crosses over into true crime. And we find ourselves in the middle of some of that kind of conspiracy theory stuff, uh, but some of it's just revelatory. Looking at the uh, FBI file of Jim Morrison and of the doors, and in this little corner of it, we find uh, copies Uh, being sent to different offices and it's in reference to information being furnished to the Jacksonville and Tampa offices in view of the racial tensions in the state of Florida and makes reference to the doors 
and uh, that they may be fomenting some of those tensions and makes reference to uh, the arrest in Miami and says 110 sources furnishing racial intelligence information were contacted in the Miami division during the month of February 1969 and reported the general racial conditions in South Florida remain satisfactory. So there they're trying to pin some shit on the guys and their own report says, no, things are pretty good there. But it doesn't really explain in detail what they did that was so racially edgy. It just kind of browses over it and then it talks about their uh, it talks about their findings completely being counter to what they were hoping to get. What they're doing is fishing. It shows that they're fishing. Well, page 16 and 17, after the uh, mention of the uh, black-owned and operated shopping mall, are completely deleted and redacted like crazy. But then at the bottom, it says, March 3rd, 1969, redacted, reported that Jim Morrison, a rock and roll singer, appeared at Dinner Key Auditorium, Miami, Florida, March 1, 1969. Morrison, a white male, age 25, born in Cocoa Beach, Florida, and once attended Florida State University, reportedly pulled all stops in an effort to provoke chaos among a huge crowd of young people. Morrison's program lasted one hour, during which time he sang one song, and for the remainder, he grunted and groaned, gyrated and gestured... with inflammatory remarks. <laughs> One song for an hour and then grunting and grunting. The music's over. Oh, that's Kiss phenomenal. my fucking ass. There were 31 off-duty Miami police officers hired by the sponsors who observed most of the action by Morrison but failed to make any arrest as to do so might possibly incite a riot. So they want everyone to believe then and now that they needed 31 off-duty cops to be there as additional security when their presence kind of incited the tension that we were dealing with. Isn't that the case more often than not by over-preparing for something or by assuming that something will happen? It sometimes seems like that type of provoking is intentional. Sometimes, yes. And I would say even more than sometimes. But in this case, all it did was lead around to Morrison being arrested on misdemeanor charges. So showing your pee-pee in public is a misdemeanor. Same as if you were seen taking a whiz on a bush and the cop walked by. It's a misdemeanor. Yes. However, however, after all this, the matter was being discussed with the Florida State Attorney General's office to determine if Morrison could be charged with a felony. And then right after that part of the file, it's re- like two paragraphs are redacted. So it's telling you who was doing it, what was going on, and it's all redacted. But at least we know this is what their mission was. This is what they were talking about. Well, they eventually put some teeth in all of these memos being shuffled around, Marcus. And I'm looking at what is in my PDF, page 21 of the FBI file. And it comes from the United States government. So they're not fucking around, I guess. Uh, Memorandum to the director of the FBI. And it's in regards to James Douglas Morrison. Uh, They're calling him fugitive. It's the memorandum that we want Jim Morrison and they... describe who he is so that they make sure they get their guy because they always got their guy those g-men right yeah but the fact that he was listed as a fugitive when they couldn't even charge him with a felony at that point and they had already you know charged him with the misdemeanors so it makes no sense that they listed him as a fugitive other than maybe well he played the show they arrested him for for the flash yeah they released him because that's all you do. And then he left town with the band to go to the next show. So they considered that to be a fugitive. He walked right into it. He probably had the attitude, well, I got to go to the next show. And he did. This is where these things get complicated and start to pile up, frankly. It makes sense. Here's the thing, though. 
The next page down the line, May 15, 1969, a memorandum to the director of FBI. By letter dated April 29, 1969, Assistant U.S. Attorney Michael J. Osmond advised his office had declined prosecution against the subject and therefore requested federal complaint be dismissed. On May 1, 1969, U.S. Commissioner Miami, Florida, advised federal process against Morrison dismissed as of April 29, 1969. So this whole thing went away, as you might say, bud. Do you think his father's influence had anything to do with that, even though hmm. he had a gnarly relationship with his father? And his father also offered to step down and resign from his post because of his son's behavior. Let me ask you a question. Okay. Do you think that it was his father who had influence over all this and made it go away? Yes, because of guilt. I think Jim Morrison's father had a lot of guilt with how he treated his son. There was a side of him that was proud of his success as a creative, even though as a military guy that was hardcore military. Hard for him to deal with, though. It was hard for him to deal with that whole counterculture, but I think there was a side of him, and I'm sure the mom made a difference in pointing that out as well, that I think he was proud of him in some ways deep down in, but also blames himself for Jim's behavior, too, because of how he treated Jim. It's the imbalanced history of rock and roll, and we're looking into Jim Morrison and the Doors, their FBI file, or files. <laughs> and I found something down here on page 26, and it's talking about Morrison, that he and Baker were part of a group of approximately six people known as the Doors. There's your confirmation of that. Mm -hmm. He stated that when Morrison and Baker came on board, they were acting in a boisterous manner, and after taking their seats and then discovering that the plane was going to be delayed, they were both up and down walking about the first class compartment. Redacted stated he noted that either Morrison or Baker had a bottle of liquor about a pint size. So it's a smaller liquor bottle than you might think that was mostly concealed in a comic book. And I'm looking for a title for you, and I don't say it. There's no title in the comic book. There's no, nope, no title for the comic book. And we're not excusing Jim Morrison and Baker's uh, behavior no. by any means. I think in today's society, if those dudes were unruly on a plane, they'd get their asses handed to them by the rest of the people on the plane. They'd be like, sit down, dudes, and if you continue to harass the stewardesses, we're going to beat your asses. Going down a few more pages in the FBI file, I find this paragraph. The records of Dade County Criminal Court reflect the case was adjourned till April 27, 1970 for trial by Judge Mary Goodman. Charges pending are lewd and lascivious behavior, Florida Statute 798.02. Two, indecent exposure, Florida Statute 800.03. Three, open profanity, Florida Statute 847.04. And four, drunkenness, Florida Statute 85601. Outstanding as of April 1970, these charges stemming from the performance of the Doors at the Dinner Key Theater in March 1969. So they were still some charges outstanding. And on the very next page of the FBI file... We go to New Haven and listen to this. The records of the New Haven, Connecticut Police Department reflected the arrest of James D. Morrison, date of birth December 8th, 1943, on December 10th, 1967 on charges of breach of peace, resisting mm -hmm. an indecent or moral exhibition. Disposition of these arrests reflects the payment of a $25 fine for the breach of peace and a nole prosequi on the other two charges. <laughs> the Admiral at work again. Yep. A lot of the paperwork's in this file, too, showing, you know, what the charges were and, and which ones were disposed which way. And, you know, it, it shows uh, drunk driving in Los Angeles, uh, uh, an incident in Las Vegas, other things in Florida. Florida. He had yeah. an issue. Yeah. 
Inglewood, California. And some of it was concerts. A lot of the lewd and lascivious behavior stuff wasn't taking a leak against a building. It was him flashing his wiener on stage as part of his performance. And it was outside the lines of the law at that point, but he saw it as part of performing the same way Lenny Bruce probably saw cursing on stage as part of his performance outside of the law. I'm surprised he wasn't arrested more for whipping his huh. uh, junk out because I'm sure what a he... List. I'm the list sure. is getting pretty long here down around page number 32. <laughs> I understand that, even down yet. But if he did it in these places, odds are he did it in other places, and most likely those places are like, we don't even want to deal with any of this, the press and the insanity and the hassles. So we're just going to tell them, don't do it again and don't come back. And you start to see focus coming into the government's plan, Marcus. There's a page there. I think it's page 54 in the PDF where the U.S. government starts to focus on charges. And it's a memo from 12070. A review of the docket U.S. District Court has revealed that Judge William P. Koppel on 12-169, ordered this case continued for trial. So this means that they're going to start moving forward with the stuff, what happened in the skies between L.A. and Phoenix. Wow. There's yeah. a harsh vibe you feel when you read that part of the file. And partly why this is moving forward to trial is because of something presented to the federal grand jury on a superseding indictment to delete count three from the original indictment and changed flight 71 to 172 in the two remaining counts. So they were kind of playing a little show game with the cases and what was going on to make sure that they got as much penalty lined up for Jim and Rick as they could. Again, underlining why the rest of the guys in the entourage with the band really laid low and stayed very quiet on these flights. Oh, yeah. At this point, you can see that the government is pissed and they want to set an example with somebody. But it is something to be very concerned about, Marcus, because you think about what federal charges over state charges mean, and, and it's getting real serious for Jim, and things start to close in. That's kind of where we're heading, and that's kind of what they're looking at as he decides, that's it, I'm going to Paris in the next year or so. Quick note from the research department who seem to be like thinking ahead of us sometimes, like anticipating our moves, uh, shows us that the Doors LA Woman album was recorded between December 70 and January 71. So all this legal shit we're talking about was going on at the same time they were making the album. Do you think when he recorded the Doors final album, he was planning on going to Paris to try to figure all this out to escape from it? Do you think that was part of his long-term plans as far as where he was going at that point? I think they all could probably use a break from each other by that point, don't you? Absolutely. As we've discussed in previous episodes, they recorded at a furious pace, toured at a furious pace, and probably were experiencing an intense burnout. If there's a wound, a lot of it, Marcus, is self-inflicted, and I'm sure the other guys in the band felt like it sucked for them that they also had to be wounded along with the guy who they were with. True, but they also knew what type of person they were working with, so oh, yeah. I think that they knew that there were going to be some lumps and some bruises going along with some of the successes that they achieved. And did you notice, maybe even right away, that everything that was going on with Jim, even though it was on stage with The Doors, didn't seem to tarnish or reflect on the band, its music, and its image. In a way, it didn't even reflect on Jim in a bad way. It's wild to even think that it happened that way because, especially in today's cancel culture... It would never fly. It would never fly. That kind of behavior would never fly. If somebody started whipping their dick out on stage and going full G.G. Allen, people would lose their collective <laughs> mind. <laughs> Oh, 
Seriously. Somewhere in heaven, Gigi Alloway. Yeah, that's right, motherfuckers. (laughs) (laughs) And you know what I'm looking at? I'm looking at pages and pages of the stuff about this. And when it gets right around to it, all the behavior stuff, the inciting people to misbehave and just act out, uh, to get the crowd up on stage with them, all these things that he was doing on stage didn't amount to enough. But this one flight, especially the L.A. Phoenix thing, really was their Achilles heel when it came to Jim becoming vulnerable. And, and I read somewhere that a lot of people gave Rick, Rick Baker extra credit because he was an enabler in this situation. He kind of like spurred Jim on. But Morrison didn't always need a whole lot of help in that department. And it's obvious that his body didn't handle alcohol very well. Do you think Jim Morrison would have done jail time had he survived 1971 and come back to do the trial i don't think i'm qualified to answer that because i'm not a lawyer but i'm looking at it and i'm thinking they managed to get out of a few things whether it was his managers or uh friends in the business or his father helping him but i think you get around to this and if this stuff comes through maybe it gets verified and may defeat look even worse because even then we were all very sensitive about the manner in which uh, proper procedures were done on flights because, hey, we're all flying together in a tin can, hurtling through space with one person at the controls, with one person backing him up. Let's not make it any more difficult than it already is. And that attitude pretty much applies to air travel even now, don't you think? There's no way he would be able to get away with behaving that way on a flight, especially lighting up a cigar or a cigarette. He would have gotten walked just for that today. Riders on the storm. Riders on the storm. And a little part of me is thinking that maybe he did go to Paris just to get away from all of this as much as anything else. While some charges went away, it was the other things that happened and the the stuff involving the FAA and federal charges that weren't going away that really were hanging over him and maybe that mattered a little bit in the move that he made i'm not giving jim morrison a pass for his behavior on the flight or anything like that because that was totally unacceptable completely unacceptable and wrong then now and everywhere in between so we're all on the same page yeah there's no way that we would be supporting that but at the same time I don't have a problem with the dude whipping his dick out on stage while he's performing. Now, if he were to rub one out, I think that's a big problem. But, again, if you pay for a G.G. Allen show, you know what you're getting. If Jim Morrison's singing and his penis happens to fall out of his trousers, big deal. I think that uh, things are different now as they are always changing Uh, different now than they were then. And if you look at it, they were trying to get something they could string him up by his genitals with. And they found that the bigger stick was the federal charges because of what happened on the plane. If you want to avoid these situations in life, then as now, don't do stupid shit on airplanes. End of story end of the discussion and really maybe to some degree some kind of wrap up of the discussion about whether morrison left because of the pressure i'm sure that the pressure was pretty intense look at the legal problems he had and i think he was smart enough to know that the federal charges were a hell of a lot worse than the uh miami dade county charges or the uh the new haven charges because those were local authorities versus flying on a flight from L.A. to Phoenix. I'm betting that when you found the FBI file, you thought this would be a neat thing to read and learn about, not knowing that we'd be sitting here pulling the whole thing apart. Just taking apart this FBI file is very revealing about what we were doing with our government and artists that were over or on the edge back then in the same way or similarly to what was going on in the UK. And that may be the biggest thing that I take away from all of this. Also, the fact that they were very on top of what was going on in quote-unquote counterculture, as they called it. So I'm sure the amount of FBI files from that time on musicians, artists, and people who spoke against the system are rather large. And I'm sure that if you were alive during that time and had an arrest record or did anything of that nature in your youth during that time, 
You might have a page or two in the FBI archives. Stop it. Don't tell anybody about my file. I'm not telling anybody about your file. I'm just saying in general. Oopsie, that (laughs) slipped out. What it comes down to is some of the things, Marcus, that we've suspected for a while uh, that he maybe didn't even intend on coming back and doing anything in the future with the doors or anything else at all. Some of these things that we've kicked around, not on the podcast, just kicking around, that there may be some validity to some of those claims or thoughts. And I learned a lot about behind the scenes how powerful people will try to make things happen that are on a personal purely personal not even a political agenda Uh, you want to play politics that's one thing but when you take something like this and some of the words that were exchanged are offensive to me as an american i agree with you on that and i don't understand why the government went after people like this so hard well, most of the really nasty words came from that one guy, that broadcast guy. That's true. It, that it happened is what's important, similar to what I think our mission was when we set out on the Brian Jones project. So um, another unusual circumstance and a different kind of an episode. And hey, look, folks, we missed something. We know it. So tell us what it is at uh, imbalancehistory at gmail.com the best way to email us or you can find us on social media too uh we're on facebook i know i I post some stuff on there you've got instagram covered really well and we also have twitter at imbalanced histo i don't think we're ever getting the r1 just so you know we would have gotten it by now we're at anything so come on jack come on jack get with the program All right, that's going to do it for our dig into Jim Morrison's FBI file. Hope you learned something. We sure did. From the Dark Doc Studios, signing off, I'm Ray Coob. I'm Marcus Goldman. This is the imbalanced history of rock and roll. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.